As Lil mentioned to the children this morning, we're talking about the parable of the loving father and the two sons, also known as the prodigal son. And we'll be focusing for our purposes on the older brother. So this picks up chapter 11, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older brother was out in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And the servant replied, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf for him because he is safe back home. The older brother became angry and refused to come in. So the father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, all these years I have slaved for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate uh, with my friends. And here, this son of yours comes home after squandering all of your property on prostitutes. And you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father replied, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. You may have seen the quote in the bulletin from Robert Frost. Home is that place that when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And I think that was probably the younger brother's experience of home. That even though he left and had squandered a lot of money, his inheritance, he came home and he was received. And you can see the painting on your bulletin or up here at the front this morning, Rembrandt's uh, picturing of the father blessing and receiving the younger son. He found it a place of safety. And acceptance. And I think a lot of us in life have been very fortunate. And our homes have been those places of belonging and safety and acceptance. And we knew if we went there, we would be received. And for a lot of us, we actually find we're probably our best selves when we are at home and or when we have a sense or confidence in home. I'm reminded of the story some years ago of a woman named Eunice. Eunice, as she was aging, was having difficulty doing a lot of the daily tasks of life. So her daughter decided to move her a couple hundred miles away and built a place for Eunice in her house. And so Eunice came, and for a couple weeks, everything worked out fine. Then one day, the daughter came home from work at lunchtime, and Eunice was in the kitchen with a butcher knife. Eunice had gone through and cut down all of the drapes in the house, all the curtains, and sliced them into pieces. She had gone through the periodicals and sliced them into pieces with the butcher knife. And now she had started on the furniture and was working on a chair in the kitchen. Obviously alarmed, the daughter called for help. Well, after they worked and, and, and met for a while, the decision was made to return Eunice back to her hometown. Eunice was in an, an agitated and violent state, which was not normal for her at all. But the daughter said something interesting happened. They put Eunice in her agitated state in the back seat of the car. And the closer she got to her hometown, the more she returned to her normal self. And by the time they had pulled up to the driveway, Eunice was the old Eunice. There's something about home. 
there's something about home that makes us long for home. A lot of the great stories in literature are about homes and homecoming. Look at Odysseus and his journey to try to get back home. Uh, Peter and Susan and the children in Narnia hoping one day uh, to be able to uh, return uh, through the closet back home. Uh, the Lord of the Rings. It is an adventure. But part of the story is not complete until they make their way back home. There's something profound and powerful about the experience of home. And somehow the older brother in this story misses it. So what I wanted to share with you for a few moments is a couple of key things I think the older brother misses in the story. And that gets him into real trouble. The first thing is this. The older brother seems to think of home as a place that you deserve, a place that you earn for yourself, that you work for. So when his father comes out to him, he says, look, all these years I've slaved for you and I've never disobeyed you. His sense is you work for home, that you do everything you can to secure home. And yet I think Robert Frost's writing has it. If you continue in the bulletin, uh, you'll see the last sentence is the musing that really home is that place that you don't have to deserve i'll say it another way if you have to work for it it's not home and yet so many people are so busy about working to secure a home secure a base secure an identity to secure their place in the world pulitzer uh, prize-winning author john meacham uh, wrote a, a what is now a classic biography of andrew jackson called american lion you may have read it jackson grew up without a father and then his mother died when he was a young teen. And Meacham's comment early in the book about Jackson and his, his, his efforts to excel uh, both in industriousness and also through fights and things he got into offers this observation about the young Andrew Jackson in South Carolina. He says, perhaps because he didn't have a father, he had to work twice as hard as anyone else to secure his place in the community. That's what it means to act as if you don't have a home. When you work for home, you have to struggle and scramble for what should be given to you. You try to do it the old-fashioned way. You try to earn it. Henry Nowen, uh, many years ago, to, I'm paraphrasing him here, said that basically for a sense of identity and home, people will do a number of different things. And one of the things that they will do is they'll try to earn their home uh, through their possessions, through the things that they will accumulate. Maybe if I get enough titles, uh, maybe if I get uh, enough material, maybe I can build my own sense of security, my own fortress, my own place in the community. But, of course, the problem with that is that anything that you earn or you own can, in fact, be lost and can be taken away from you, sometimes uh, just through accident, sometimes through your own uh, uh, miscalculation, and sometimes through the scheming of other people. But anything you have that you possess, you can be dispossessed. It can be lost. Now one says there are others who don't turn to possessions for their home, but they, they turn to performance. And they get on a treadmill and they try to do, like Andrew Jackson, more and more and basically say, do you, you, know, do you like me now? Am I, I still somebody? You know, who can forget Sally Field up there clutching uh, the trophy saying, you like me, you really like me. 
And they go, they go for that through performance. And when have you performed enough, though? The problem with the performance treadmills is just that. It doesn't stop. You know, if a little is good, wouldn't more be more secure? If you did more, if you obeyed more, if you were out in the field longer, wouldn't you have more of a place? So it proves not to be very effective. And then he said, some actually try the route of popularity. If, well, if I can get you to like me, then I'll have a place. If I can always please you. If you're never disappointed in me, then I will always have this home. Well, you know the problem with that. Some people are just real hard to please. And some people can like you one moment and not like you the next. And when your identity and home is based in pleasing others, you have put your security and your well-being in the hands of others. And that's never a good trade. What I want you to see is home is something that you do not have to work for. If you have to work for it, it's not home. Look at Jesus. Just think about Jesus for a moment. All that he accomplished, of all the great religious leaders in history, it seems to me that Jesus, whom we believe is the Messiah, is the only one who didn't have a Messiah complex. He's the only one that wasn't trying that hard. He was just being. He was living out of a place of love and acceptance, saying, well, what the Father does, I do. What I see him doing, I join in and I do. There was a sense of home about him. If you have to work for home, it's not home. The most important thing in life, our identity and our sense of security, is never something we earn. It is always something we receive. And that's the first mistake the older brother makes. But he makes another one that's almost as bad. He never leaves home. He never leaves. The younger brother leaves and then comes back. The older brother stays there day after day, year after year. He doesn't understand. Home is not some place you work for. Home is a place that you work from. That you move from home and you go out into the world. That you can take chances, that you can be adventurous, that you can do something new and different, and that you can risk and be courageous because you know at the base you have a safety and a security and an identity that is home. I remember reading a story some years ago about a guy that was on a ladder, and the ladder collapsed while he was on it. Guy went down, broke his leg. He's in the hospital. One of his friends said, the ladder collapsed. Why didn't you just jump off it? Why did you go down with the ladder? And his response to his friend was, you have to have some place to jump from. With the ladder collapsing, there was no way he could jump. There was no base for him. Our home is our place where we jump from and we get into the world and we begin to take chances we wouldn't take otherwise. And we begin to love more deeply and more courageously. I believe home is, as uh, one of the uh, readings said this morning, uh, one of our prayers, home is a place where they believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Home is a place where they believe in you before you believe in yourself. And it gives you what you need, not to stay home, but to, to go from home where you are called and to do the things that, that you are called to do. One of the um, neat things that I've noticed about our Thursday night group, uh, the quarry, which, which is open to any of you, is that we gather on Thursday nights and we teach and discuss. And what I've noticed about the people in there is they're becoming progressively more bold. 
taking risks, talking to people they wouldn't talk with earlier, taking chances they wouldn't take earlier, starting new things that may or may not succeed. And the power is not in the teaching. The power is in the sense of home. They know that no matter what they try, succeed or fail, that they have a place, an identity, an acceptance that is theirs. I remember being about six years into being a pastor, uh, struggling and just wondering, what happens if this doesn't work? I mean, do you know what a seminary degree qualifies you for in the world? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, what if it doesn't work? So I'm six years in, I go to a counselor for several weeks, and he asked me this question. He says, David, do you believe that if everything fails, that you will just keep falling through a bottomless pit? Do you believe if you fall, there is no one there to catch you? Crossing my fingers, I said to him, oh, no, I don't believe that. But I did. But I did. And what has happened to me, both through encouragement and understanding and and my nuclear home, uh, but just as much by beginning to understand myself as a beloved son of God, is now I realize I'm not working without a net. I'm never going to fall so completely that I'll never be accepted, that I'll never have a place, that I will forget who I am. And so it's made me bolder. To walk across the room and talk to somebody I'd normally be afraid to. To take a chance. To be more vulnerable. To risk ridicule and rejection. Because I'm not going to fall very far. I've got a net. I have a home. I have a base under me. Home is a place not that you work for, but that you work from. And courageously, because you know no matter what, you are loved and accepted. You can move forward on the mission that God has for you in this world. That's home. A few years ago, uh, the movie The Hobbit came out. And one of the opening scenes in The Hobbit, of course, is Gandalf is trying to uh, talk uh, Bilbo into this new adventure. And the way he tries to talk him into adventures, he has fellow adventurers flood Bilbo Baggins' house which is neatly structured and organized the way his mother left it. And his newfound friends are just trashing dishes. They're making a mess as they party, as they eat, as they celebrate. And it's all making them come unglued. And when he's invited to go with them on this great adventure, he at first says no. And in the movie, I haven't found it in the book, in the movie... Gandalf says to Bilbo Baggins, when did you become more interested in doilies and your mother's dishes than in adventure? See, Bilbo Baggins won't leave home, not because he has a home, but because he doesn't have a home. Because it's just the way his mother left it and everything is just so. And if it's not just so, it's not home. He doesn't have that security. He can't go out into the world because he's not sure that when he returns there's something there we don't work for home we work from home and that work makes all the difference in this world so my question for you this morning is just do you have a home do you have a place of security do you have a strong base do you know that you can try anything do anything and it will be all right
Do you know that? This is Sukkot. Uh, you may be aware we've talked some about it. It's one of the three great festivals that Jews celebrate. Jesus celebrated it. Uh, you get evidence of that in the Gospel of John. But one of the things in Sukkot is that uh, the Jews will live in a tent or in a tabernacle, in a sukkah. And you've seen perhaps our uh, humble sukkah out here in the yard. But one of the things, the rules is that the sukkah cannot have a permanent roof. You have to be able to look through the roof of the sukkah to see the stars at night and the sky and the clouds by day. Because you look in that direction to know that it is not this dwelling that is your home. It is not this dwelling that is your sense of permanence and identity and security. Your permanence, dwelling, identity and security is in the Father God who loves you deeply. That's where your home is. So you build this tent to remind yourself, that's, this is not where my home is. My home is in God. One of my favorite names um, in the Bible for God is the place. The place. One of the great saints of the church, uh, Teresa of Avila, said about our homecoming. She said, our homecoming is where we find ourselves in God. We're drawn up into God. And we find God in ourselves. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. And then he went on to say, that if you keep my word and obey my commandments, the Father and I will make our home in you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whether it works or not, you've got a home. You have an identity. You have security. And that makes all the difference, not just for your life, but for the life of others that God is calling you to reach. I first heard about a man almost 20 years ago and then got to meet him at a conference. His name is Bill Wilson. When Bill was a young boy in Florida, his mother, who was a single mother, took him to a park one day, sat him down on the park bench and said, I just can't do this anymore. Sit here. I'll be back. And she left. And he sat on the park bench for three days. And his mother never came back. A mechanic named Dave was watching over the course of days, finally went to him and found his story. And Dave took him in, gave him a home, took him to his church, gave him a home that was a church, paid for him to go to summer camp where he made a commitment uh, in faith to Christ, where he found an identity. Then his church paid for him to go to undergrad. Then his church paid for him to go to seminary. Then he came back to Florida after he graduated and started a bus ministry where he tried to pick up at-risk children and children on the street and provide at least a Sunday morning Sunday school experience for them. It went so successfully that they, they did it in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And then finally he moved to Brooklyn to one of the toughest sections. And you've seen food trucks. Well, he has Sunday school trucks. And the trucks will go to some apartment buildings and they'll open the sides and they'll start having classes for the children and just start loving on the children and giving them things and embracing them and finding out about the conditions of their home and trying to reach out to them. For others, he sends a fleet of buses and brings them to a central location in Brooklyn. When you add the food trucks and the buses together, more than 20,000 children every Sunday get touched with a touch of home. And the bus drivers and the food truck people each week call on the children in their home, first of all, to make sure they're still alive. 
and to see their condition. Bill has been doing this for a number of years, since 1979 in Brooklyn. He has been beaten, he has been shot, he has been stabbed. In this very high crime area, he continues to go out and risk himself to give these kids a sense of home. And when I was at this conference, they were interviewing him on stage, and they say, why do you do it? And he said, when I drive a bus and I pick up an orphan or a fatherless child, he said, I know I am picking up me. Somebody picked him up and gave him a home. And now he extends that home to others. That's how home works.